Thank you, worship team. I'd like to invite any deacons and any pastors that are here this hour to come on up. Brian Weber as well will be joining us in a moment. This is our 40th anniversary. Woo! <laughs> and we wanted to take a moment to just share a few things with you. Two weeks ago, I had the privilege of leading the New and Perspective members class after the service. And I was reading from our booklet that we hand out. And on the booklet, it says, On February 3rd, 1979, 39 people met to discuss a new church in Mansfield. And I realized as I was reading it that it was exactly 40 years to the day as I was reading that, that that was occurring. And so we wanted to just take some time to share a little bit. Many of you know the history. We're going to have some pictures that are up at different points as I read through this. 39 people met to discuss the new church in Mansfield. My understanding is they met at Perkins' Pancake House, and uh, there actually was a, a joke at one point that we should be called Perkins Baptist Church instead of Berean Baptist Church as a result. But that core group of adults and children became interested in starting a new Baptist church in Mansfield, and they felt the need to establish a church focused in a positive way on the life-changing power of Christ. And they called a young youth pastor and his wife, Dave and Cher Pound, to be their senior pastor in June of that year. We fast forward a little bit. They met in Mansfield Christian School for the first several years. In fact, my understanding is they met in the band room for a while, and it was an exciting time. But in December of 1984, Berean moved from Mansfield Christian to the first building at 2145 Middle Belleville Road in what we now know today as the chapel. The cornerstone of that building, Colossians 1.27, says, Christ in you, the hope of glory, and 2 Corinthians 4.5, for we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We actually outgrew that facility, which could accommodate about 120 or 225 people on the very first Sunday. In 1986, we added a secretary, and one year later, Bill Heaton was hired as the associate pastor, and we began hosting two services each Sunday morning. In 1989, phase two, which we now refer to as our worship center, with its first fuller classrooms, was constructed. The cornerstone was Acts 20, 24, which reads, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I might finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Soon after, we had a youth pastor on staff, Tim Armstrong. And in the summer of 1995, our first children's pastor, Nate Myers, brought the total number of pastors to four. And at this point, our attendance had grown to over 600 people. Also, in 1995, Pastor Bill took his first international mission trip to Ukraine, which resulted in our current sister relationship with Grace Baptist Church of Brovery, Ukraine. In July of 1996, we planted our first daughter church, Crossroads Community Church on Park Avenue. We sent 37 adults to serve with Pastor Tim Armstrong in this exciting and growing congregation. God continued to bless, and so in 1998, phase three was completed, which added the gym, a dozen adult classrooms, 
And the cornerstone was actually the passage that Pastor Brian is preaching from today, Philippians 3.14. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In 2002, we planted our second church, New Hope Community in Loudonville, with Charles Hill as pastor. And then construction of phase four, which includes these wings, some of the other offices in the back, and some other adjustments, along with the youth wing, was completed in 2005. And we are currently two years away from being completely debt-free and paying off all of the buildings. You see, through every step of our history, we have desired to be a church that has kingdom impact, loving God and loving others, and we pray that this would continue to be our legacy as we move together into the future. Pastor Brian, if you come join us, please. Good morning, everyone. It is a pleasure to be here on your 40th anniversary. Such a great pleasure indeed um, to represent uh, Converge Mid-Atlantic, the uh, district of uh, churches that Berean is part of. You saw on the one slide that was up earlier uh, for the opening, and it said a Baptist General Conference Church. That was our uh, former name, as you guys remember, and over, over time we also transitioned into a new name, Converge, and to be here at the 40th anniversary and uh, to celebrate with you. It's just really a great pleasure. I teased these guys earlier because they got up here and they stood in a nice, neat row, right? Don't they look like they're ready to sing a song for you, you know? And then they did it again, so I got to share the same joke, which was awesome. So anyway, um, I, I was so um, just struck earlier by the, the hymn that we sang, um, Jesus, Jesus, Precious Jesus, right? You know, how we trust him, um, you know, how he's, we've proved him o'er and o'er. And I just think, what a, uh, an appropriate song to sing for an anniversary because a church only makes it 40 years because of trusting in Jesus. Every generation of um, people that are in that church and each step that Pastor Stephen talked about um, in the history of the church here it demonstrates another step of faith that the people here has made to try to follow Jesus as best as you can, uh, to try to make an impact for the gospel here in central Ohio and around the world, Ukraine and Haiti and the other places where you are serving. And, um, and in each step of faith, God, our, our, our good shepherd, has proved himself faithful, hasn't he? And here you are today, and I know you're going through another season, right, of transition here and, um, and, and hope and expectation. Again, another opportunity for this body of believers to place their faith in our good shepherd, the true senior pastor of the church, Jesus, to, um, to make a pathway forward and to bring a new senior pastor here. And um, we stand with you in that. The uh, other Converse uh, pastors, especially those here in the Ohio area in particular, um, you know, we know what's, what's happening here. We pray for you all the time. And uh, we, uh, we care immensely about, about you guys and about the future of your church. And so it's just exciting um, to be here with you. Uh, I just, you know, humbly just want to present a little um, letter of a commendation here to Berean Baptist Church on behalf of Convergement Atlantic. We'd like to take this opportunity to congratulate you on your 40th anniversary. I'll give this to your 
esteemed chairman, Drew, here. Here you go. And I want to pray for you. But first, can I just say, um, and they're not all up here, obviously, but the, the deacons and the uh, pastors and the ministry leaders that you have here at the church, they're working so hard to serve you, to care for you, uh, especially through this time of transition. I've been in church transitions myself as a pastor. I know how hard it is. And I just want to say thank you for um, the hard work that you guys do behind the scenes, all the tough meetings, all the, you, you know, the on-your-knees praying um, and serving the people here. Can we just give them a round of applause and tell them we appreciate them? Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, and Pastor Mike, also, I didn't want to forget him and coming in and, um, and providing some help in an interim pastor role. Thank you, Pastor Mike, as well. So. Let's pray uh, together. Lord God in heaven, thank you so much for your kindness and your, your care and your concern uh, for your church, and especially Berean Baptist, this momentous occasion, 40 years, uh, Lord, of trusting in you. And uh, we just thank you for how faithful that you have been to this congregation, all the lives that have been transformed, um, all the little guys that have grown up here and um, new churches that have been sent out, new missionaries that have been sent out. Lord, um, you have used this church as a beacon for the gospel here in central Ohio. We know and we believe and we have faith that you will do many more great things in their midst. And so in the meantime, God, I pray that you would be with them, encourage them, uh, God, um, give them wisdom. Um, all The whole body here, from the leaders down uh, to um, people who serve in the, in the nursery and every place in between. Lord, we just ask for uh, wisdom and faith and patience and unity uh, during this time as we anticipate um, the future that you have in store for them. And we just praise you, Lord, um, for your faithfulness these 40 years. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Yeah. Get to keep it this time. Thank you. <laughs> If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open them to um, uh, Philippians chapter 3. We're going to get to that in a moment. Before, before we get to the sermon, however, I just want to give you a little brief update on Converge Mid-Atlantic. Slide up there. This is our, our mission statement. Um, and not just for Converge Mid-Atlantic, but for all the districts across the country that make up Converge worldwide. Uh, starting and strengthening churches together worldwide is our, our mission that we do and accomplish together. Um, here's a, a photo of my family, just to get to know us a little bit. My, um, my wife and I are from the Philadelphia area uh, where I served in a local church as a pastor in a local church. I actually grew up in uh, that church, and I was there on staff for 15 years as a Converge church, and we um, worked alongside of Converge to send missionaries with Converge and to start uh, uh, churches in the greater Philadelphia area, and those are my uh, four children, and um, I like this picture because it's Easter Sunday, and we all, we're all dressed up and look, look good. We don't always look like that every day, as you can imagine, right? But um, that's uh, my family, and um, uh, just a, um, a few months ago, I was nominated and appointed by um, the pastors of the district to, to take uh, the reins as executive minister from Dr. Dan Peterson, whom you might know, because uh, he lives here, uh, not too far from here, and he was my predecessor in this role overseeing the district churches for 25 years, and, um, and I'm in a new adventure alongside of churches like Berean Baptist, kind of serving this area, 
and um, trying to do the Lord's work together. Now, what does that look like? Well, here are some sobering statistics about the status of the church in the United States. Now, there's good things going on in the church as well, but these are some of the challenges. One is last year, 3,700 churches closed their doors last year all across the country, all different kinds of denominations. Um, And yet, the population of the United States continues to grow rapidly. And so, if we were just to plant and start enough congregations just to keep up with the growth and population every year, we would need to start 1,900 new churches every year just to keep pace with the population growth. And that's a huge challenge. Um, At the same time, 4,700 ethnic groups across the world are completely unreached, have not heard the gospel. So there's a great task in front of us to send missionaries so the gospel goes around the world. And yet, at the same time, enrollment in U.S. seminaries has been in decline uh, for over 10 years. So we're not even preparing the next generation of Christian leaders that we need to accomplish this task. And so where does that leave us? Well, first, we want to reaffirm what the Scriptures tell us is our job, our responsibility, until Jesus returns. And we know it as a great commission, right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And we know this is responsibility. This is what Jesus said to the earliest disciples, those 12, right? And then everyone who's came after them. And so what did they do? Well, we see in the book of Acts that they went out and they practiced those things in a particular way. Um, this is a summary, these two, three verses, a summary of Paul and Barnabas' ministry. And look at what it says about them. It says, they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch and strengthened the disciples and encouraged them. And then it says in verse 23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for for them in each church and uh, with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord. And so we see a a picture of what their ministry was and that disciple-making in the early church wrapped around the ideas of church planting and evangelism, leadership development, and, um, and strengthening the existing churches. And you see the, um, the ministry of Paul and the other apostles developing networks of churches to care for one another and to accomplish this task. And so this is what Converge Mid-Atlantic does. Uh, we are a, um, uh, a, a, a multi-culturally uh, diverse movement of gospel-centered churches Uh, partnering together to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus. And we do that by starting and strengthening churches together worldwide and developing the next generation of leaders. And so it's a mobilization of churches like Berean to do that together. You guys have participated in it over the last 40 years. Church planting. You even have grandbaby churches now because the churches you've planted have planted churches. How amazing is that, right? And um, uh, in addition, um, sending missionaries around the world and when we strengthen each other and do that together, the idea is to go forth and, and to complete the task that Jesus has called us to do. And so, uh, here's just a couple, you know, people to meet here. Um, this is um, Wellspring Church. They just celebrated their first anniversary uh, a couple months ago, and they are in Toms River, New Jersey. And here's a guy who uh, wanted to reach this town that was devastated by, her, by uh, Superstorm Sandy a decade ago. And they moved into the lower level 
of an office building right on the main street in the center of town, and the congregation is deeply involved in all kinds of things inside the town because their church is right in the midst of all of that, and it's really kind of cool. Um, another fellow here, this is Darius Brown. Um, he is uh, starting churches in inner city Wilmington, where is his home. And he grew up there, and he saw that the neighbor, some of the neighborhoods didn't have churches, and the people in there weren't going to other neighborhoods to have churches. And so he started small campuses. He already has three of them. His first anniversary is this month. He already has three small campuses bringing the church back to the neighborhoods and, um, and engaging the neighborhoods through block parties and uh, um, uh, dances for junior high students and town hall meetings where the police officers and residents would come together. And he's doing some really great work in downtown inner city Wilmington. Um, another uh, church, Resonance Church, is in Brown County, Ohio, down near Cincinnati, uh, a rural county of less than 50,000 residents. And Pastor Aaron Kirk here is from that area, and he really has a heart for rural Ohio. And uh, started this church near his hometown. What you see in the photo there is a big, open, outdoor worship service that they had. And so many people came because the two previous weeks, they used social media to gather as many household projects throughout the county as they could find and then welcomed as many volunteers as they could, both inside and outside their church. So they ended up with dozens of household projects and hundreds of volunteers, and they went and they, they served the community that way. And then through this big um, outdoor worship service where almost 800 people came and uh, folks um, gave their life to Jesus and were baptized there, right there in the park. And um, that's Resonance Church. One more to introduce to you. Um, this is Paul Foster. This is our first church plant in South Carolina, Rock Hill, South Carolina. He was building up for his launch day in September, and it was the weekend that the Hurricane Florence came in and drowned out the whole city. And yet, I called him. I said, you still going to do your launch day? He says, well, you know, like, we've been planning forever, so yes. And they, they meet in the movie theater, and the movie theater said that they would be open, and they had far fewer people, obviously, than he had planned for. Um, but he got started, and he pressed on, and every week they've been growing slow more and more uh, there in Rock Hill, South Carolina, just across the border from uh, Charlotte. And uh, there is just an example of some of the other churches that are part of this family that Berean Church belongs to. And I just encourage you uh, to think of us, to pray for us, encourage your leaders to stay connected in our fellowship of Christian leaders because we really want to um, love on each other and spur one another on toward good deeds. And um, you can also visit our website. We have a new website launching soon. We have a new staff that is uh, being built. And uh, we're looking for prayer partners, um, sign up for our newsletters, keeping track. With, with who we are so that you can pray for us and we would deeply appreciate that. Now, um, what I'd like, like to do is draw our attention to the scripture here a little bit. And um, I have an encouraging message from the Apostle Paul. Uh, he writes um, a, a, this message to the people of Philippians in, in chapter 3. So I invite you to open your Bibles there if you haven't already, Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14. I didn't know that this verse was on the cornerstone of one of your buildings out here, and it seems just really appropriate to dig into it a little bit deeper. Most of us want to be better people, don't we? Somewhere deep down inside, we don't want to stay the same. We want to progress in life. 
And I think that's a good thing. It's also a frustrating thing, isn't it? Like, for example, six weeks ago, many of us made New Year resolutions. How's that going for you? Right? Yeah. You might be thinking, Pastor Brian, why are you bringing that up? I thought you wanted us to feel good this morning. Yeah, I know. I'm one of them. It's already February, and I am hopelessly behind on the goals that I had set for myself. Author Bob Strauss says it this way in his uh, The Big Book of How, What, and Why. He writes, It's a stark irony of the Western calendar that the odometer turns over smack dab in the middle of winter, the one time a year when most people can't rouse themselves to clean their bathrooms, much less make an ambitious, life-changing behavioral U-turn. So here's the thing. We want to be better people. We just don't often know how to do it. And oftentimes, instead, we tend to feel a little inadequate and discouraged. Now, one of the most successful people in all the Bible is the Apostle Paul. We admire him for all of his accomplishments. And Paul's considered the great Christian missionary. He traveled all throughout the ancient world, sharing the gospel and starting new churches. And then he was thrown into prison for his faith. And he was strong enough to endure those trials And he even wrote more than 10 books of the New Testament. So if anyone has the will to make themselves a better person, you would think it would be the Apostle Paul. And here he is. He writes this letter to the Philippians. It's a letter sent specifically to Christians who lived in the city of Philippi. And he actually writes this letter while he's in prison. But he not only writes it to them, but as the letter was carried, it was read in church after church after church, and then generations later, we still have it today. And in the third chapter in particular, there are verses that have been very encouraging to people, verses 13 and 14. See, Paul was concerned about the Christians in Philippi. He wanted them to have a healthy perspective of themselves and to be hopeful about their future. At the same time, he was concerned for them as a church. This was a letter written to them together as a body. They were facing difficulties and challenges with the local government and in the community. And he didn't want them to give up. He wanted them to remain positive about their future. For example, when he opens his letter in chapter 1, this is what he writes in He says in verse 3, I I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Imagine if Paul was, was writing this to Berean church. He might say, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day, February 1979, until now, February 2019. Being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So Paul writes this letter, and it's filled with encouraging words that we still read today, and he takes his argument into chapter 3, and and we get in verses 13 and 14 this message of hope for the future. And it's a uniquely Christian approach to progress in life. He writes this, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal 
to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He begins with the word brothers. This is a personal address. He, he really means everyone who is reading his letter. He has a specific word of encouragement to them. Brothers, sisters, Christian people, listen to me. Paul writes, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. So Paul's message is personal. He's reflecting on his life and he's making a judgment about his past. Paul admits that he hasn't yet accomplished his goal. Now what could Paul have not have accomplished? This guy that we admire so much for his ministry. Well, if you look back at, at the previous verses, just, just before this, in verses 7 through 12, you get a little bit of a picture of what Paul held up as his goal in life. And I'm going to read it to you, and I want you to take notice to the phrases that are repeated several times throughout these few verses. And, and on the screen, I, I underlined them for you. Paul writes in verse 7, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. Do you see it? I mean, I think there's a lot to unpack in this verse, and we don't have time you know, for that, but I just very simply want you to see that it appears here, you could summarize it like this, that that Paul wants to know Jesus. He wants to know Jesus so well that he'll start acting like Jesus. Paul wants to be perfect like Jesus is perfect. And isn't that what we want too? Aren't we tired of screwing up? Aren't we tired of saying to ourselves, I can't break this bad habit. I can't fix this relationship. I can't stay on this diet. I can't stop making poor choices. I can't be successful like I want to be. I can't stop thinking these terrible thoughts. See, Paul is dealing with the same inadequacy. And look how he responds. He's honest about his past. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Isn't that refreshing? I mean, this is the Apostle Paul we're talking about. And we've already, you know, reviewed his many accolades in ministry and as a man of God. And if the Apostle Paul can admit that he has problems, don't you think that we can too? In fact, I believe Paul means to make himself an example here for us. By admitting his own inadequacy, he gives us a directive. He says, if you want to be a better person, be honest about your past. And remember, he's not just writing to individual Christians. He's writing to a church and applies it to the whole. So guys, if you want to be a better church, be honest about your past. You know, some of us have, have a trouble 
you know, being honest about our problems. We feel that we can never let other people know that we struggle. And Paul shows us here that it's healthy. It really is healthy to admit, especially to ourselves, but even to others, that we have shortcomings. We're not perfect, and we have no business pretending to be. And for Paul, this is not a reason to be discouraged. It's just a healthy place from which to move forward. Progress in life is about being honest about your past. And then, Paul says, progressing in life is about perseverance in the present. He says, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on. One thing, Paul says. What a wonderfully attractive idea, one thing. It's simple, it's memorable, it's accomplishable. It's entirely different than the way we usually handle things, isn't it? We often think that the remedies for our life's problems are complicated, or at least we make them that way. As an exercise, I, I went online and I tried to you know, Google the names of self-help books, and he, here's a sample of, of what you can find. There's way more possible things to do that you could ever remember. Um, seven steps to living at your full potential. Eight simple steps to solving any problem. Nine principles for creating habits that match your desires. Ten simple steps to a healthier you. And this is my favorite. 160 ways to enhance your natural intelligence. You know, if you add all those things together, it's 194 more things for you to do this year. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> now, they may be helpful books. I don't know. I haven't read them. But my point is, Paul says one thing. That's so much simpler. And what is that one thing? He says, I press on. More specifically, Paul says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on. He's using an image of a runner in a race when he says this. When a, when, if you're an athlete and you're competing in a race, you want to strive with all of your might just for the finish line and only for the finish line. It's tempting to turn around and see where the other runners are. But if you do that, that can be a big mistake. The most famous example of this happened on August 7th, 1954. Uh, two of the most famous runners at that time, Roger Bannister and John Landy, were competing against each other for the first time in the one-mile run. Roger Bannister was the first person to run a mile in less than four minutes, and John Landy was the current record holder, so this was a big deal. And 35,000 people showed up just to watch this one race between these two guys. And they called it the Miracle Mile. Well, it was really tight. And with 90 yards to go, John Landy was in the lead, and he does the unthinkable. And they actually capture it right here on this picture. He looks over his left shoulder to see if he can see Roger Bannister. And at that precise moment, Bannister runs right past him on the right side and wins the race. John Landy literally lost because he looked back. And Paul uses this image for us in relation to the Christian life. He says, forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. Now, the biblical idea of forgetting does not mean we don't have any recollection of our past. We will always remember the things that happened to us. The biblical idea of forgetting is that my past no longer has control over me. 
What happened in my past has no influence on what I decide to do today. Now, scholars debate over what past circumstances Paul was talking about in this case. Perhaps they were his past mistakes, like especially before he was a Christian. Before Paul became a believer, he was a a, a zealous Pharisee who um, got together mobs of people and, and looked for Christians and threw them in prison and even killed some of them. Paul called himself one of the worst sinners who ever lived. And sometimes our past mistakes can be debilitating for us. For example, some of us lie so frequently that we just give up telling the truth. Others of us lose our temper so frequently that we just decide to live angry all the time. Still, others of us give in to addictive behaviors so frequently that we just give up trying to control ourselves. And Paul says that Christians aren't meant to live that way. We're not meant to be defeated by our past sins. Jesus died on the cross and conquered and delivered us so that our past mistakes no longer have control over us. We can forget our past and press on to move forward in the Christian life. Now, some scholars also argue that Paul may be talking about his past successes here in this verse, and that's an interesting idea too. You know, after Paul became a Christian, he became a very successful leader in the church. And so maybe what he's saying is that perhaps it's a warning that we shouldn't become too prideful. That, you know, we shouldn't rely on our successes so much that we think we've already arrived or we're not the kind of person that makes big mistakes. You know, we can also become paralyzed by our past success. Sometimes success in business makes us think that we don't need God anymore. Sometimes success in education makes us think that we don't need to be taught anymore. Sometimes success in overcoming mistakes makes us think we don't need to grow anymore or somehow we're better than other people. Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote, unless you try to do something beyond what you've already mastered, you will never grow. In other words, progress in life is not about perfection. Progress in life is about perseverance. And Paul has this advice for us. If you're facing challenges in life, press on. If you screwed up big time, press on. Even if you're experiencing a little success, Don't be content, press on. Progress in life is about being honest about your past. It's about perseverance in the present. And finally, Paul says, progress in life is about pursuing a promise for the future. He writes, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He continues the metaphor of a runner. When a person ran a race in the ancient uh, games, um, the, the leader of the games or the president of the games would invite the, the uh, winner to stand on a podium and we'd give him a prize and often the prize was a wreath of olive branches that they would put on the runner's head. I mean, in, in our modern Olympics today, we mimic this when we put the athletes up on podiums and give them medals, right? And, um, you know, Paul reminds us here 
that the goal of the Christian life is far more valuable than a wreath of olive branches. He, he writes in verse 14, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And when he says, called me heavenward, he's thinking back to his calling that day, um, you know, many years earlier when he first became a believer in Jesus. And you remember the story, right? It's in Acts chapter 9. And Paul is a, 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 a Pharisee, and he's got a, a mob of, of soldiers, and he's going up the road uh, to the city of Damascus in order to look for Christians and throw them in prison. And right along the, along the road there, a bright light comes from heaven and blinds Paul. And this voice of, from heaven says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul asks, who are you? And a voice says, it is I, Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And Paul still is unable to see, and he's led to the city, and he meets a Christian named Ananias who miraculously heals him so he can see again, and in that moment, he gives his life to Jesus, and he's baptized. And from that day forward, Paul's life completely changes. God sets him on a new course in a new direction, and that direction is heavenward. God gave Paul the promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ. See, progress in life is not about chasing after things we don't have. It's not about losing 10 pounds or getting a job promotion or learning a second language or many of the other goals that we sometimes set for ourselves. Progress in life is about pursuing a promise. It's something we already have. It's been given to us through faith in Jesus. It is eternal life in heaven with God himself. It is greater and better than anything else we could possibly imagine. And Paul talked about this all the time in his letters. And yet we seem to forget it. Listen to his prayer for the Ephesians. It's Ephesians 1, verses 18 and 19. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. You know, if we could conceive how great heaven will be one day, we'd completely change how we live on a daily day basis and the decisions that we make. We won't make goals for ourselves that end up leave us feeling empty in, in the end. We would set goals for ourselves that make a difference for eternity. So Paul's message here is one of hope for the future because he encourages us to tirelessly pursue the promise of heaven. He writes to the, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I press on towards the goal to receive the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So I was in the doctor's office with my son. Uh, I was taking him for his checkup, 
And you know how you go to um, doctors or dentist's office and there's often like po posters with motivational sayings on it? I don't know what it is about designing doctor's offices, but they're like everywhere. And so we're in the one and um, off uh, exam room and there's a poster and it says the word goals on it in big letters. And underneath it is a quote that I, I think is attributed to um, President Kennedy in the 60s. And the quote was, effort and courage are not enough without purpose and direction. Effort and courage are not enough without purpose and direction. I was thinking about this. I said, wow, that's really true. We have a big problem with that. How often do we rely on our own effort to make things better? And we're not relying on purpose and direction. And Jesus gives us all the purpose and direction that we need. And Paul talks about us here. He gives us this message of hope, and it's hopeful for the future because it's saying, hey, progress in life is possible. Here's how it's possible. Be honest about your past. Persevere in the present and pursue this great promise for the future. And what is that promise, right? It's the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. So where do we go from here? Well, I think that there are two practical outcomes in response to this. I think one of them for individuals and another for us together as a church. Now, first, as Christians, let's take every opportunity to know Jesus more and more. Jesus said, um, this is eternal life. Not, I mean, this is eternal life. They may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And the Bible says that the pathway for knowing God personally is through faith. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved, that God made it possible for us through Jesus' death and resurrection, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. And we get to know him more and more and more until one day we see him face to face in heaven. And at a church like Berean Church, there's lots of opportunities to get to know Jesus more together in community through Bible studies and small groups and serving in ministries and coming to church on Sunday. Take advantage of all of those opportunities and more to get to know Jesus more and more and more. Secondly, as a church, Paul encourages us to keep our eyes on the prize. You know, in many ways, I don't think our churches today are that much different than the churches in the New Testament. You know, we read about, when we read the scriptures, all the problems that they were faces. We, we face all kinds of problems, too. Ours are sometimes a little different, but there are challenges and hardships and transitions and change. And it's so easy to become discouraged when we look at all the worrisome details of our situations and we take our eyes off the prize which is our salvation together, that one day we'll be in heaven with God for all eternity. Jesus writes, don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus said this, John writes it down actually, John 14. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. You know, in heaven's something that we all get to enjoy to get it together. You know, it's not like we just go there by ourselves, right? And if, if we can imagine how great heaven will be together one day, I think we can also figure out how to do life together here on earth and handle and walk through together and persevere together through all the challenges and changes that, that we experience. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Will you pray with me? God in heaven, we thank you so much for, your, for these encouraging words. Thank you. You know, the basis of them, Lord, is, is through your, your selfless death and resurrection, the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. And we reaffirm this morning, we believe. We believe in you. We believe that you died and rose again. We're sorry for the things that we've done in our life. And we ask for your forgiveness. And we know that you're faithful and you stand with us. You promised that you would be with us even to the end of the age. Thank you. Also be with us here this week, today. Help us to persevere. Give us the strength by your spirit to, to live by your spirit in kindness and love and unity with one another. Help us to know you more and more so we can be more like you, especially as we interact with people in our community and our neighborhood that don't know you. Lord, we ask for your spirit to fill us and help us to become the people that you want us to be and help this church, Berean Church, and all of our churches to be the kinds of communities of, of believers that you want us to be fulfilling the mission of love for this world until the day you return. And we pray for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everybody. It was a pleasure to spend the morning with you. And I uh, look forward to meeting you out in the foyer. You're dismissed. <laughs>